are listening to the Stones with Crowd Radio Show with Domita White. Domita White. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to the Stones Will Cry Out podcast show. On the line right now, we have the lovely Kiwanda Love. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. So can you please explain to the listeners uh, who you are, what it is that you do, what you're involved in? Um, I am Kwanda Love. Um, I am an inmate at FCC COVID Count. Um, I was included in a 75 count indictment um, in an operation, a reversing operation entitled Operation Ghost, um, where federal agents um, came up with an uh, operation. At first, it was an investigation to eliminate and detect contraband being introduced into the prisons across the state of Georgia. Um, I guess when they couldn't, you know, find um, court officers that way, they decided to do what they call a little reversing operation where they changed the tactics and instead of at the beat looking for guards, for, for, um, guards, they came up with an operation where they had the officers to meet an alleged drug dealer. Um, contain a backpack filled with counterfeit drugs and transport the backpack to uh, a location. And that was it. They was paid thousands of fees for the transport. And they would have been put into where their GDP uniforms or the Department of Corrections uniform. And they was also instructed to recruit other officers and forever recruit they will be paid double the amount. So I came in and um, someone told me about it and um, I was told it was right and that's what happened. And now I'm sitting in a federal prison camp. This call is from a federal prison. I was sentenced to 60 months of instruction. Wow, wow. So basically what they did, they set you up. They purposely set you up. Right, right. So, yeah, it's almost mm. like the Chicago stash house thing. It's almost like that. So the stash house yeah. thing, that's like when they claim that there's drugs planted somewhere, but it's really not, and then they still end up charging yeah. people. Wow. Yeah, with the Chicago stash house thing, um, the federal agents were, um, I want to say, four to five defendants into seeking to rob a non-existent stash house. And in return, those defendants were charged. And I think the mandatory minimum sentence was between 15 and 21, I want to I wanna say. So um, some of those defendants got time served, but I don't know about the rest of them. So it's kind of much, pretty much the same thing. But I don't understand. If nothing was found, how could they sentence them to, you know, those those years like that? I don't get it. I have no idea. Obviously, this is something that's been going on for years and years. Um, I think a little after we was indicted, there was another sting operation in Atlanta, Georgia, where they had postal carriers um, delivering certain packages to different locations. And every time they, they were sentenced as well. It turned out to be a sting operation as well. I think the youngest of 
that group was 17, and I think the oldest was 64, 65, I want to say. Oh, my gosh. I Okay, so a reverse sting operation, can you explain what's the difference between a reverse sting operation and entrapment by the federal government? It's pretty much, to me, it's pretty much the same thing. You still lure defendants into committing crimes, whether it's a reverse sting operation or entrapment. You still lure individuals to commit crimes. Actually, you're creating criminals. Basically. <laughs> so you're creating That's criminals, but the criminals haven't criminals. really, right, but you don't have any evidence of any crime that these cr- criminals have, uh, Absolutely. you know, created. Yes. With oh. my case, I was charged with two counts of um, attempted to distribute 100% pure methamphetamine and two counts of extortion. But um, I don't know how I was charged with 100% per methamphetamine when there wasn't no no drugs to be found. Mm-hmm. It was it was nothing. That's why the the title of the operation is entitled Operation Ghost because it was no no drugs to begin with. Wow, that is really bananas. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, it is. How much time did they give you? They, um, I was sentenced to 60 months, which is five years. Wow. So, um, so is this, is this undercover tactic? Because that's what it sounds like. Is this being exposed? Is somebody investigating this? Like, is the Department of Justice investigating or, you know, the... Not to my knowledge. Oh, wow. I think this is something that they're doing. It's a business to keep the prison doors open. I feel like everybody's corrupt. DAs, attorneys, prosecutors, and some judge. It's just a business. It's all about money. If your money is is not right, so to speak, mm-hmm. then they don't really care who they get as long as they get somebody, as long as the prison doors are open. So it doesn't even matter. It's not even about integrity in the justice system anymore. It's just about keeping the prison doors open. Wow. So it's it's not well. They I don't know if they claim that it's not about money, but trying to get criminal you know enterprises broken up. I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's like the, they're they're committing crimes themselves because they're using deceptive practices. Right. Uh, they're right. lying. This from a state yeah. prison. Absolutely, yeah. they're breaking up homes yeah. and, and everything, and it's it's not right. And if somebody has to be a voice for it, I can't. I can't be the only voice. Um, I'm actually here with four other um co-defendants mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, we just have to get it out there and let the the public know what is going on in the justice system, and we just have to be vocal about it and just put it out there. Yeah, that's crazy because not only that, I would say that the people who set up these operations, I think they're putting their their own lives at risk as well well because, you know, I'm pretty sure that there were probably instances where uh, federal agents or police officers were probably killed in in the process of this. Or, you know, the, yeah. the, the people that they set up were probably killed unnecessarily because they set this up. Right. It's stupid. Right. Um, from what I was told from um, a co-defendant that one of our co-defendants actually committed suicide. Oh, no. Based, yeah, based on 
This is horrible, horrible. Yes, I'm. I'm glad that you're shedding light on this because, um, like I said, I'm learning something every day by doing this ministry every day. And this is this is this is crazy, and it makes absolutely no sense how they do what they do. That makes no sense because you know you you claim that there's drugs or other evidence planted in in a home. And then when people, when, when these so-called agents come to bust people, there's nothing there to be found. So what are you charging people for? Intent? Right. I don't right. Think. I'm not saying I'm completely innocent because I'm not, because I, I was there. I made the decision to go, but to give me as much time as I was given for nothing mm-hmm. is crazy. I deserve some time but five years. No, that's, that's ridiculous. That is absolutely crazy. So what are you doing to help fight your case? Right now, I'm awaiting response from attorney Margaret Crowley for a class action lawsuit concerning unconstitutional sentencing guidelines. So I'm waiting to hear from her. Okay, well, I I pray that um, she's able to help you and other people who are in similar situations. Um, You know, I've come across other... um, you know, other brothers and sisters who have complained about sending thousands of dollars to lawyers who do absolutely nothing for their case. And I'm like, that's just ridiculous. So, but with her, you know, every time I speak with her, you know, I'm just, you know, I just thank God for her because she just has a heart to help people and she's genuine about it. She didn't have to take on this, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I pray that, you know, something happens, there's a breakthrough, and then she's able to help you and everybody else that she's trying to help. I'm appreciative, and I'm appreciative to you, and I thank you so much mm-hmm. for helping me shed light on this, because this is something that needs to be talked about and exposed. Well, you're more than welcome, you know, and um, I thank you for taking the time to uh, expound on this, because... You know, people need to hear about it, and I'm definitely going to share it on social media. And I'm going to give you the link. I'm going to email it to you so that you can share it with your contacts on the outside. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me, and I'll talk to you really soon. You're welcome. You take care and you stay blessed. You too. Thanks. Bye bye. God bless you. Bye bye. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to that amazing interview with the lovely Kiwanda Love, uh, shedding light on reverse sting operations and entrapment, and we will now go for a commercial break. The voices of men, women, and children behind bars will not be silenced. I reside in a United States federal prison. Collectively, I have been incarcerated 46 years of my life. Why am I here? Well, it's not because of what they said that I did to get here. 
it's because of what I didn't do to prevent my ongoing imprisonment, and that was my lack of education. It was a key element which prevented me from being able to overcome my adversities. Whatever you do, please take the time to learn what you need to learn to excel in life. Go to school or read or conceive knowledge from wherever you can get it. Remember, incarceration starts in the mind. Stay in society and remain a pillar of mankind. You don't have to go to prison to learn. Crime doesn't pay. I'm Al Quran and I approve this message. This message is brought to you by Street Consequences Entertainment. Stay street or repeat. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for tuning in to the Stones Will Cry Out podcast show. A new segment that I decided to do is going to be called Stories from Behind the Steel. So I have a story to read, and this is from a gentleman at Rochester FCM or FMC in Rochester, Minnesota, and his name is James Allen Gregg. So this is his story. Believe me, I was honored to have fought for this country. I left college in January of 2003 with a 4.0 to go fight for us and what our government thought a threat to our beloved country. I served for 15 months and was home for less than three, eager to return to college before I was brutally assaulted by two men for no reason other than I returned home to the, the Crow Creek Indian Reservation, a veteran. Did you know that kicking another man repeatedly in the head when he is down and unconscious is considered an assault with a deadly weapon, a charge often used by the same prosecutor in my case against others, Michael Hansen, but not in mine. Instead, the multiple skull fractures and lacerations to the head after I was jumped and unfairly attacked were never considered as brutal enough for the South Dakota um, AUSA to charge my assailants with. Prosecutor Hansen never charged my assailants, yet charged me with first-degree mur murder, mandatory life in prison, and discharging a firearm, mandatory minimum 10 years, after I refuted another attack by the same assailant when he opened the door to my pickup and tried to pull me out to finish me off. America's judicial representative, Michael Hansen, used my service to my country against me. Many veterans legally carried out concealed weapons with them upon their return from combat, as I did. It is our basic reaction to survival and self-defense by keeping a weapon by our side, and thus I kept a firearm with me in my truck since my return from Iraq. The fireworks that were going off that night and the threat of attack minutes after I was beaten unconscious, twice, mind you, threw me into what any veteran would consider heightened alert. I reacted as I was in war. I felt the fear of combat and I was well within my the rules of engagement. This was not the first time I had fired a shot to defend myself and others. I never wanted to bring this war home with me. I never initiated any threat or violence. This is not who I am. Now I am alone. Through all the faults at trial, the victim's father being the jury pool during war door or war, war door, never being charged in second degree murder until after closing statements. The jury never heard through, t through trial what to look for in second degree murder. 
The jury never heard through trial what to look for in second-degree murder. We only had to argue against premeditation. I was never allowed to explain why I feared the man I killed or when he attacked me and my cousin with a tire iron and how a park ranger almost had to kill him to stop his attack. Or when he jumped on the hood of a car to keep a man from leaving that night that he wanted to fight. I couldn't even tell the jury I was afraid of him. They struck it from the record and told the jury to disregard. I took the stand in my own murder trial and couldn't even explain why I shot the man in self-defense. And this, e this isn't even the worst of it. Even though the jury found me guilty of second-degree murder, they didn't have a choice in the discharge of a firearm charge. Congress has made the law so that if the jury finds one guilty of the primary charge, any one of their mandatory minimums will automatically be charged and added. The jury had no choice but to find me guilty of the discharge of a firearm during a crime of violence. A true double jeopardy, being charged twice for the same crime without a jury finding any guilt. I was found guilty of the primary charge. They had to automatically find you guilty on a mandatory minimum. They are not allowed to find you guilty or find you not guilty. Sodom would have been proud to see America follow his footsteps. I never knew of this, and I'll tell you, I would never have fought for a country that would blindly give a man 10 additional years because Congress decided to allow prosecutors the power to automatically sentence anyone they want. So I ask, who will fight with me against this? Mandatory minimums are used by prosecutors as leverage threats and have all the power in choosing who or how they apply it to. Example, Sam Andrew Reed charged with second-degree murder on an Indian reservation and discharge of a firearm because he shot another man point-blank in the head during a dispute over driving his girlfriend's car. I ask that you read this case and compare it to mine. Then ask yourself, who gave the prosecutor the power to just drop the 10-year mandatory minimum charge, even though all the requirements was, were still there for its implementation? Why did the drop, or why did he drop the charge? Was a gun not discharged during a crime of violence? Well, an offer was made, plead guilty instead of taking it to trial, and the charge will be dropped. I took my case to trial, so I got the 10 years added to my 11 for a total of 21 years and three months. Sam Andrew Reed pled guilty, and so the prosecutor dropped the 10-year mandatory minimum, and he only got three years, four months. Congress said these mandatory minimums were supposed to even out the discrepancies by judges, now they have just given all that power to prosecutors to use as threats if you dare go to trial. You still have the freedom to take your charge to trial, but prosecutors will make sure you receive a mandatory minimum charge, thanks to his backers in Congress who gave him his job and this power. Look deep and you will see prosecutors have the power over judges and sentencing. The Supreme Court, point, the Supreme Court pointed this out in Dean versus United States. In our country, you are no longer free to take your case to trial. You will receive a mandatory minimum sentence if you dare. And don't mind the pre-sentence investigation. They are no longer needed. Justice is really in jeopardy. Mandatory minimums can't take into consideration any of the mental health or defender's character. You will face punishment with no consideration of who you are, what you did, or why you did it. In this case, justice is really blind not to color of skin, faith, nationality, location, social status, or beliefs, but to who you really are. In Congress's reasoning behind mandatory minimums, everyone should get sentenced to them, irrelevant to their, per their personal situation. No one is unique. 
We are all criminals who can only be punished by what Congress has chosen and under the prosecutor's threats if you dare take it to trial. I will no longer stay silent on this. I ask you for help in bringing justice back to our courts. Serving more time is not rehabilitation or even punishment. It is a waste of taxpayers' money and does nothing to make our country safer. Let's hold a hearing of taxpayers' money. Well, let's hold a hearing on what is best for our judicial system because we are doing now. Obviously, whatever we're doing now is not working. And the rest of the world has to know this. This not only affects me, it affects us all. Thank you so much, James A. Gregg, for sharing this letter with us. And we will now break for a commercial. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to another powerful segment of The Stones Will Cry Out. Let us encourage each other's strengths and coach each other within our weaknesses, without condemnation, so that we can truly embrace each other's differences. We all need each other, and therefore we can all learn from each other. Let us continue to uplift one another. Where there is unity, there is peace, freedom, joy, and love. And until we meet again, thank you so much. May you be kept safe. God bless you. Good night. Thank you for listening to Domita White on the Stones Will Cry Out radio show. Be sure to exercise your freedom from the Iron Beast and tune in next time. Follow us on social networking and at xenolive.com slash the Stones Will Cry Out. The Stones Will Cry Out. Xenolive.com freedom from the abyss of the iron 